welcome to a podcast from Hope Church Glasgow. For more about us, check out hopechurchglasgow.org. Well, hi and welcome to the the podcast. And uh, yeah, we're into the new year well and truly here. I hope you enjoyed Teresa last time, my wife. She's amazing. Um, great revelation. And and today we're we're continuing the post pandemic series, and and I think we're. I think we're genuinely beginning to become post-pandemic people. Um, and what has it done to the church? What has it done to to our faith? And we, we're starting a different tack. We talked a lot last year, I guess, end of last year, about church. And today I want to talk about deconstruction of your faith. I've been seeing it happen in myself. Questions. I've been seeing it happening with people around me, people who've maybe disconnected a bit from church uh quite a lot of people are asking big questions about what they believe not 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 stopping believing in jesus but asking questions about the structure architecture fundamentals of our faith and it's got a name now it's called being deconstructionist or deconstructing your faith i want to i want to talk about that i want to actually uh, not be scared of it. Uh, I think asking questions is a good thing, and I think we see it in the Bible. You see characters in the Bible, even just interrogating what they believe, asking the awkward ones. And uh, how I want to approach this today? This is sort of a bit of an overview, uh, and, and see if you're interested in this topic. And then some of the things that we raise, we'll dig into a bit deeper in the weeks to come. So what, what I'm seeing as triggers, if you like, to this uh, this trend to deconstruction, this should have a, should call it deconstructionalism or something like that, shouldn't we? To, to this, tr- this trend to deconstruction, which is affecting us. And I think there are probably thousands and thousands of actually left the evangelical slash evangelical charismatic church because they're not because they're on this questioning journey and they're not getting the answers or they're not even allowed. To, I've met people who are not even allowed to ask the questions and just get fobbed off. So I'm going to try and be brave here. Uh, hit, hit, so the structure is this. The first is what are the triggers that are making us ask these questions? And then secondly, I'm going to look at what I, I've discovered I think are maybe things where we've either misunderstood our faith or where we've things that maybe help us deal with the things that have triggered us. Let's put it that way. Um, solutions, because I think we we really are in danger if we just stay deconstructed. It's a bit like having a clock. I've done this as a kid, you know, like taking things apart. Well, I couldn't put them back together again. Uh, and I'm not saying that when we put it back together, it should look the same as what we took apart, but having all the bits on the floor is no good to any of us you know you can't tell the time with the parts so here we go <laughs> uh we're going to talk about some triggers here i i, I think uh, this is this is in my conversations with people i think probably top of the pops that's an old expression i know now but top of the charts would be the the, the questions that are triggered around how do we as christians what do we do with the lgb 
TQ plus community. And the knee-jerk thing that we tend to see is like, well, anybody in that camp is just condemned to hell. That's making a lot of people ask searching questions about their faith. And, and I'd like to suggest to you that the, 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 the at least the apparent agenda of, of, of that world is to cause us to question our faith, at least cause us to question a version of the Christian faith, which I actually think is probably... Uh, not that helpful to us, but it's where a lot of us have been. So that's that's a major trigger point. Uh, another one is just people reading their Bibles, <laughs> which I would highly encourage, but particularly reading their Old Testament and finding, uh, particularly from through the eyes of modern readers, finding there a God of massacres, a God of misogyny, uh and really struggling to reconcile with what that with what they read in the new testament especially if you are actually especially if you're someone who's encountered the goodness of god if you're someone who's been on something of a journey that where you've enjoyed and experienced and understood something of the father heart of god to you to then read some of the um the narrative of the old testament is frankly shocking and it's very very difficult mentally rationally to figure out sometimes how does what i'm seeing about the father fit with this thing this person that i'm seeing described apparently in the old testament and, and that leads to to quite a lot of christians asking big questions and others just trying to ignore the old testament which is also a bad thing to do um so that that's another big big thing connected to that i think would be it, it, this is old and new but you get this thing this sacrificial system in the old covenant and, and you can end up thinking that god's a bit bloodthirsty and just needs sacrifice to forgive anybody for anything and then you roll that into the new testament and 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 some of the ways sometimes we look at the cross and Jesus on the cross is, is yet again a God who needs blood and savagery uh, against someone uh, in order to release forgiveness to others. And, uh, and, and it, it, even to, in order to change his approach to the others. Um, and and we, uh, we are seeing this idea of, of a God who's wrathful to us and then if he gets enough of the appropriate sacrifice, then he, we move out of being, this is to use a phrase, I think it's the NIV or the ESV, you know, says it like this, that we're being objects of wrath uh, is our condition. And something pretty radical in terms of sacrifice in the blood of Jesus has to happen for us to become objects of favour. Um we also struggle with the idea of a God who stepped back from humanity, which we'll look at in a minute. He's there, but he's not engaged with the muck and bullets of life. Uh, and, and, and even for some, a belief in their, in their evangelicalism of a God who orchestrates, either starts, allows, encourages disaster and evil to, in order to teach believers and unbelievers are like lessons in order to 
actually position them to a place where they are acknowledging their need and their brokenness and and so as a kind of way to get people to turn to him um that that these disasters are orchestrated as acts of ultimate kindness people struggle with this stuff this list and maybe you've got others but these are the main ones that that i have either struggled with or i've encountered others struggling with um and 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 they trigger off this set of questions, this questioning process. Deconstructionism is what we decided we were going to call it, isn't it? Um, and I think some of these ideas flow from a few places. There's a few. I've got four slash five. I'll let you decide whether I do four or five. Uh, points of, of reference here, if you like, foundation points that, it's important that we get right, not just even foundation points. They're like supporting walls. These are these are pillars, and, and, and depending on how we understand these points depends where we end up in this process. I know this isn't quite making sense yet, so I'm going to keep going, hoping that what I begin to say next helps you make sense of what I'm saying here. So the the first thing is in our traditional evangelicalism is we have a holy god all right and i'm not saying by this that god isn't holy before you uh, you know before you stop listening but our holy god idea is a holy god who is a holiness of in terms of moral rectitude he's the ultimate in upright he is absolutely impure and therefore he is separate from us and not only is he separate from us but he actually can't mix with us because such is this holiness um it can't attach itself to seeing around connect to sinfulness so god is always somewhat separate and connected to that is he's he's a holy judge so he's judging what is right and what is wrong he's judging what is holy and what is sinful in us and he's punishing the sin and the transgression and that punishing dynamic to his holiness requires uh satisfaction it requires it needs to be calmed down <laughs> to use a very non-theological word it needs to be calmed down so we can get even close um so holiness the holiness of god is is right at the center of evangelicalism and it's the the need of a holy god to to be satisfied to 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 have a sacrifice to bridge the gap between his holiness and our broken sinfulness that generates the cross and the blood and all the rest of it all right so that that's kind of pretty familiar concept to a lot of you i think um the pr the problem there's a few problems with that i think uh, one of the problems in christianity as a whole is that you become what you worship you become what you behold so if we think of this judgmental moral morally uh, upright separate punishing god and we worship him guess what we end up with a christianity that becomes very moral very punishing very judgmental and the world feels it they really feel that's the, this is 
who they think we are and therefore who they think uh, God is. Um, I mean, and then we end up in all kinds of things like healing of the healing of the sick, which we clearly see Jesus do, becomes a kind of arbitrary thing. Like, you know, if you're lucky and God's in a good mood, he'll do something good for you. Anyway, I'm going to talk more about this and develop these thoughts another time. My goal is not to completely sort this through here, but just to give you a window into why these concepts may be things that we need to adjust. And this is opposed to the idea of holiness as as a relational, beautiful harmony. So the trouble with holiness and moral rectitude is we, we, we conceive of God as a singular being when he isn't. He's a Father, Son and Holy Spirit who live in beautiful, harmonious, loving, joyous, um, supportive, delightful union together. Uh, that's holiness. It's, it, it's something the Bible calls the beauty of his holiness rather than the severity of his holiness. And, and, and so it, it's pure, but it's, it, it's pure in its relational purity. It's pure in its motivation. It's pure in its delight. It's pure in its love. It's pure in its preferential treatment of one another, of the Father, of the Son, and the Son of the Spirit, the Spirit of the Son, and so on, and so on. And early church fathers call it perichoresis, the dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This if this is our God and this is holiness, it immediately starts to frame a different kind of picture and put something very different at the core of our faith to the moral rectitude, separate, punishing, judging guy. Now, what I'm not saying before you throw the toys out of the pram is that there's no purity in God. That's not what this is. And I'm not saying that God doesn't judge things. But I'm saying, what is our fundamental understanding of the nature of the Godhead? If the Godhead is Trinity, and the holiness, this holiness is beautiful, and you know, again, we'll dig into this nature of Trinity. Then, then the core of existence is a beautiful relational being who who loves, and, and you might want to consider this just here. If if God is singular then love in terms of agape cannot exist in God. And so this idea of agape love, which is other-centered love, self-sacrificial love, can't actually truly exist if God is singular, because if God is love, then he is, he is, this is centered in and originating in himself. So the Father agapes the Son, the Son agapes the Father, the Spirit agapes the Son. Do you see what I mean? They, Because it's Trinity, they have one another to love. So true love, agape love, can exist in this relational Trinity that is one and three, three and one. Amen. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. Um, uh, that's a, such an important pillar, such an important pillar, such a core idea about the nature of the God we say we believe in and that we worship we get off on this one it's gonna it's gonna make everything else a little bit off said enough for now second thing 
um, is that a lot of us, I realize this, a lot of us, what I realized was I was like this, uh, that we think there's another God beside Jesus. Um, like, uh, there's one theologian pictured it this way, there's Jesus who we look at and we read about in the New Testament and we really like him. Uh, we love what he stands for, we love what he does, we love what he says, even though some of it's a bit owie and a bit sharp and challenging. And we love all the, we love the way he actually, even in his culture, starts to honour women. We love, we love it. We love how he heals the sick. We, yet somehow, perhaps because of this Old Testament thing we've got going on, we're just waiting for the slightly scarier version of God to jump out from behind Jesus somewhere. Uh, because he just comes over as a little bit too good to be true. Um, but the Bible itself, the New Testament is particularly clear on this, tells us that Jesus is God. And in fact, it not just tells us he's God, but it tells us that he's the exact representation of God. The book of Colossians tells us this, Hebrews tells us this, and John 1 tells us this. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, later on it says in John, that that Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. So uh, the, the very essence, the true nature of God is exhibited to us in Jesus. Nothing needs to be added to what we see in him in order for us to see God and nothing needs to be removed from what we see in him in order for him to be a God, to, to be God. What we see in him is in God and what we don't see in him isn't in God. There isn't another God. There's not a scarier one. There's not a softer one. There's not, there's not a modified one. He is the full final revelation somehow in the glorious mystery of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he manages to manifest himself fully and completely in a human life. That's awesome and pretty fundamental to what we understand about our faith. Jesus is God and Jesus is fully God and he exactly shows us God, okay? And that gives us a very, very, yeah, I think I'm going to go there right now. just had a conversation with my own, my own self. That gives us a very important lens and starting point to look at everything else we read about God, particularly the Old Testament. And I think, I think it's so important we don't abandon the Old Testament. In, in that road there is actual heresy. Um, but what we have to do is deal with it in a healthy way. And that we, if we don't establish Jesus as God, as the complete and full image of God in our thinking and our belief system, first, we're in for a heap of trouble. And, and where we've gone wrong a bit as evangelicals, which I am, is where we understand the Bible. And We've made the Bible, because we believe in its inspiration by God, and I, I utterly believe in its inspiration, I don't think I'd even be able to do this talk if I didn't believe in the inspired Bible, inspired by God himself, preserved for us. 
the, the text preserved for us in the way that it is. But what we've done is, I just told you that Jesus is the Word made flesh. We've made the Bible Jesus, rather than the Bible shows us Jesus, tells us Jesus, brings us to relationship with Jesus, and Jesus is the one through whom we see the rest of the text. So Jesus, let's just remember that. The, Jesus is the Word. It helps a lot when we then come to the thing evangelicals call the Word, the Bible. Us evangelicals love our Bibles because it points to the author and shows us and reveals him. And probably just like on the Emmaus Road as Jesus walked with those early apostles, he revealed everything, he had to reveal to them everything that was in the text that was about him, because it is about him. He's the word. All right, that was num that was just number two. I'll let you decide if there was more than one point in there or not, probably. Um, so number one, the thing we've got to deal with is what do we think when we think about holy God? Number two is Jesus is God. There isn't another scary one looking to jump out from behind him. And number three is the way that we've thought about faith is certainly historically quite modern. By that I mean scientific slash propositional. And also we've thought a lot about faith and we've separated the thinking from the feeling. So we think knowing is knowing i.e. knowledge, rather than knowing is uh, this sense, the biblical sense of knowing is knowing, it doesn't exclude knowledge, but it includes experience. It's the harmonization, the coming together of knowing in your head as well as knowing in your heart and your experience. Together, that's knowing. They're not meant to be separate, but we've separated them. So we have a very... Uh, us evangelicals tend to have quite a propositional faith. It's rooted on principles. Uh, sometimes we call them laws. And they're things that we adhere to. It's rooted in precepts and doctrines which we can learn. And, and, and I'm not saying it's bad to know these things. But we have the ability, sadly, to learn them and think, therefore, we know them where what we are saying is we have knowledge of them in our heads. And, and we do this in a way that means we are able to describe the doctrines without fully appreciating what they are. So we can pass the test of uh, stating what the tenets of our faith should be, but do we really know what they're saying? Let, let, let me, a really tricky one that we've known, we, we know all the time is like, we are seated with him in heavenly places. We know that, we can write it, we can, sorry, we can, we can sort of repeat it. Uh, some of us might even know where to find it in the Bible. It's, it's in Ephesians 2. Now, great, but how does that, how does, how does, that's not, just a doctrinal statement that we need to agree with in order to be saved or in order to be Christians. And one day in heaven we'll find out what the heck it meant. It's, it, it's a statement of our present reality in Christ, which is meant to 
affect our experience of him, of of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and affect our experience of life. This probably isn't making sense yet. Just stay stay in there. So I could potentially describe to you the principles of riding a bike, uh, a two-wheeler bike, what's required, uh, how to do it, yet never having ridden one. What we learn about our faith is rooted in our encounter with a person and any statements and principles we read are meant to lead us to a place of experience and encounter with the person of Jesus by the Spirit. It's meant to lead us to a place where we know the Father as the Son knows the Father. And these doctrinal descriptions are meant to change our view of reality because they're descriptions of what our reality now is in Jesus, not about something that will one day come to pass or something that's just objectively true but doesn't affect our daily experience. These are profound descriptions of our reality now because Jesus changed our reality. It didn't just give us a new set of principles or ideas. I'm going to stop there just so wetting your appetite so that's number three it's moving from propositional to experiential and encounter and and number four pillar that 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 i think we get if you like i think we get wrong and as we adjust this we're gonna we can re start to reconstruct something healthier in our faith that's probably what i'm saying about all these points it is this notion of separation which rooted in number one the holy god thing um the sad thing is even as believers we continue to hold on to the idea or believe in the idea of separation and every believer talks about being closer to god all of us sing about in our hymns and worship songs drawing closer to god and yet plain and simple as i read it in like the first chapter of colossians and others is we have man has been reconciled to god at the cross he took the unrighteous he took he took us in our in our brokenness and he took hold of us and he reconciled us to himself no he wasn't being reconciled to us we were being reconciled to him his affections towards us have been consistent forever. Our affections towards him, are, well, our affections towards him, our hostility towards him is well documented. And he reaches to us and reconciles the hostile to himself. Just like he put his arms around the prodigal son who's trying to explain, obviously, all the things he's done wrong and how he's not he's just going to be a servant not a son anymore but the father wraps his arms around him and basically says you're still a son in my house separation is a myth we have been joined to jesus and that separation idea causes us no end of difficulty both in our relationship with father son and holy spirit and with one another 
because we conceive of ourselves, the truth of our being, as being something separate from God, whereas Jesus clearly said, in that day you will know that I am in you and that you are in me and that we are in the Father. There is no separation in that scripture in John 14, 20. We are united. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's it's a it's a big subject and it touches into all the areas we've just looked at which is why i'm like yeah make as many points as you want of this of this as you want i think it's four but it could be five or six really the truth of who we are is so so important um we have been reconciled to god by one action i think hebrews does this it talks about you know we don't need lots of sacrifices because the one sacrifice of jesus was enough to cleanse our conscience to cleanse us from sin and enough to unite us with the father to get us right into the holy of holies um so i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna do a very very quick recap i'm gonna pray for you and we'll get into some of this stuff a bit more next time so really what we said is there's a lot of deconstruction rethink question going on triggered by a whole bunch of stuff like the lgbtq question what people see in the old testament the apparent bloodthirsty god even of the new testament the god who stepped back from humanity the god who orchestrates sends promotes disaster for our good and what we've looked at is without directly connecting those trigger points to answers, we've looked at what, in my opinion, are four, five or six pillars of truth that help will help us in the weeks to come to construct healthy solutions to the things that are really bugging us that I've just outlined. So what is the nature of the holiness of God? What does it mean when we say he is holy? What what is there another God beside Jesus, or is Jesus God, truly, truly? Um, moving away from propositional, doctrinal statements, head knowledge into something that's much more holistic, involves encounter, experience, and seeing what we the truth and the revelation we get as descriptions of the truth of our being not just things that will happen one day in the future or things that we just need to know to be doctrinally accurate and finally dealing with this idea of separation which has messed us up for a very long time where it so clearly says that we're in him and he's in us and we're in the father that rocks so heavenly father thanks for everyone who has listened to this all the way to the end uh, and i pray for each one that we would be in a greater place of faith and peace in our holy god in you holy god father son holy spirit and and help us not to chuck out uh, all our babies with the bathwater. help us not to get so frustrated or so confused or so angry with what we think is true about you that we can't hear beautiful truth and we can't get to a place where we can reconstruct a wholesome faith in Jesus, in the Father, 
with the help of the wonderful Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you help us? Will you teach us? Will you be our guide that we can end up in a wholesome, strengthened place? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, or search Hope Church Glasgow on your favourite podcast player.